Hello, and welcome to Polylog, a weekly dialogue on the substance and style of the Sunday morning political shows, where we take a critical look at the policymaker, the politician, and the journalist, because each is critical and each demands criticism. I'm Naomi Soto, your co-host and health policy professional based in California. And I'm Brendan Steidel, your other co-host and communications specialist in government, technology, and healthcare. Our goal for Polylog is to look at all sides of the Sunday morning talk shows. That's right. We discuss guest performances, the style and quality of questions by the hosts, and the overall usefulness of roundtable discussions. Polylog is our attempt to find, praise, and demand constructive political dialogue. So normally we look at all five shows, talk about them, have thoughts about them, but we're not doing that today. No, we are doing a special episode because we are out of town at the moment. Our first vacation as parents. Yes. Wish us luck. Hopefully we got through this flight, this very long flight. Yes, the first flight as parents in particular. Yes. Yes. So... Meanwhile, we are still here with you, and we thought we'd do something special and something fun that we've never done before, and that is pull some questions out of a hat. Like a grab bag question situation. Yes. Frequently asked questions, infrequently asked questions, fun questions about the Sunday shows, about Polylog, about everything. About political journalism. Yes. So we're going to do this. There are some fun questions in here, and literally... And I took a picture of it so we can share with oh, the audience. Oh, is that right? Yes. I would have picked a better tin. Yeah, the tin looks very Christmassy right yes, now. Yes, it's a Christmas tin. You didn't tell me you were going to include a picture. Well, we can. you can choose a different receptacle if you would like, and we'll take another picture later. Perhaps. But if you see the Christmas tin, that's what we're actually using at this moment. And <laughs> it's Christmas tin, like we're like 1945, like storing cookies up in there. And some of these questions, <laughs> I mean, cookies would be great. Some of these, we don't have cookies, but we do have a lambic raspberry flavored beer. Yes. So we're just trying to make it fun. Yeah. Trying to make it's it be great. fun. So there are some fun questions in there. There are some more serious questions. We can take as much time as we want with those questions. We can do lightning rounds inspired by Chris Wallace. Yes. His... Chris Wallace is the only one who's ever done lightning rounds. Exactly. It's the only one on the Sunday shows it does. That's true. So why don't you pull the first question, Naomi? Okay. Oh, look at this audio. Yeah. Wow. Feels really real. Okay. What surprises you the most about watching the shows? Is that a question for me or are you going to answer it? You should have to answer it. Fine. You read it. What surprises me the most about watching the shows? I, I think that so many people think they don't matter. But yes. then we're all talking about what was said. Like, come Monday morning, the news is literally all clips and bites and reactions from Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many things that end up getting... It's so interesting. I'm going to pause here and stop my train of thought. But it reminds me of when we interviewed Chuck Todd. And one of the things he noted was that there is a power to the Sunday shows. That he would occasionally have the exact same guest who said the exact same thing on his Meet the Press Daily show on MSNBC earlier in the week. Right. On a Thursday or a Wednesday. And he, would, he Chuck Todd, would feel, wow, that's very interesting. And then that person would be on a Sunday show, not necessarily his, but another Sunday show, say the same thing, practically in the same words, and suddenly it would be picked up by all the news. And that that is the power of Sunday morning. People are watching. It kind of... 
It's literally the opposite of podcasts, where people can go on and say often controversial things, and it doesn't often reach the news. People can be a little more laid back on podcasts, as we are right now, evidenced by the Lambic. That's true. What surprises you about the shows? So for me, I think the thing, having covered the shows for 224 episodes... That's almost four years. It's a lot of episodes. It's a lot. My brother reminded me the other day that the audiobook version of Lord of the Rings is 70 hours long. We have done 224 hours of polylog. Crazy. Lord of the Rings is nothing to us. (laughs) (laughs) So... Having covered it as long as we have, I think the thing that surprises me the most is how much the shows themselves, their shape, their form, their content is shaped by the hosts. Mm, yeah. You know, it's not just, oh, there's any other journalist is in there and they're, you know, asking what any other journalist would ask. No, these journalists, these hosts really shape not only what the shows choose to cover, how they cover it, what who they invite, who they invite who they invite back again and again. So I have just been so amazed watching as we have how much it matters who the host is and also how engaged they are. Because we have seen hosts who have leaned into the show and worked really hard and also hosts who have leaned back from the show and have just kind of shown up and gotten their paycheck and moved on. And it just, it really matters. Well, and then I think the tied to that is so many people feel like they can just watch any show and it'll be the same experience and it's really vastly different depending on what the priorities what your priorities for good political journalism are absolutely hugely hugely different depending on which show you watch brendan you pick the next question all right let's see i'm excited by this this is gonna be fun all right here it is here it is it says oh i like this one if you had to share a lift with Chris Christie or Rahm Emanuel, which would you pick? I guess the question is, how long is this lift ride, right? Yeah, that's also very important. I, o- I would sit up in the front and talk to the driver. <laughs> but who's in the back? I'll give my answer. I think ahead, I think go. I would say Rahm Emanuel. Just be- no, just kidding. I think I would say Chris Christie just because I could talk some New Jersey stuff with him. Mm, that's a good one. I think I would... And also, also he would like shit talk Jared Kushner. Yeah. Yeah. I, the thing is, like, Chris Christie has a reputation for being kind of this guy who says it how it is, right? Tells it how it is and isn't afraid to say, like, a negative word about somebody. And that can make him probably a really interesting person to share a lift with for a little bit of time. Whereas, from what I've read, Rahm Emanuel, going back as far as his time working in the Clinton administration with George Stephanopoulos, he was a very difficult, difficult person to deal with. So I think I'm going to choose Chris Christie as well. Amazingly. 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 All right. I'm going to go next. See, that was a fun one. If you could change one thing about a show, what would it be? I don't. This is almost something that I wish all the shows would incorporate. But I wish they maybe it's just a, a nature of time limits. But I feel like all the shows really struggle sharing the perspective of people who are directly impacted by issues. Yes. And so we're, we don't hear from people who are directly impacted by climate change. We don't hear, we heard some from victims of gun violence, but not enough. We don't hear from people who have issues accessing healthcare. We don't have, we don't hear from union leaders enough directly about workforce issues. Like 
they know the issue is better than some politician who just recently got elected. Yeah. I don't understand why we can't incorporate that expertise better. That would be amazing if if we could change that. How about you? What would you change about one of the shows? So I was just thinking about it now, and there are lots of little things about like hosts and and that sort of stuff, but I think if I interpret the question as what's the one change you could make that you think would make the biggest difference in improving the shows, I would like to have a, now listen to this, fact-checking co-host of the show. Now, this is also something you want across like all broadcast yes, yes. news. <laughs> but but I was thinking about how it could be done. And I I thought of if you've ever watched a show, one of the late night shows for example, like David Letterman. David Letterman always had Paul Schaefer on at the band. And well, every host has that. Yeah, yeah, and occasionally they would Jimmy just Fallon kinda, has Questlove. Right, they would they would just turn to not necessarily co-host, but someone else with a microphone, right? And say, what did you think about that? Or how do you feel about that? Or, And it would be great if that person that the main host turned to was their fact checker. You know, they were like a Daniel Dale of CNN, right? So, I mean, I would love to see a fact checker who is just at the computer or almost like um, who's the guy who became famous during the election with the big board? Oh, not John King, the other one. Oh, uh, Kornacki, obviously. Kornacki, Steve Kornacki, right? Imagine a Kornacki who's not looking at the data in terms of the, the election outcome, but has a big board of facts and is just pulling it up, pulling it up, pulling it up. He's just Googling. He's just going into the deep policy issues. And at the end of every episode or, or every interview, they turn to him and say, hey, wh- what did you think of that? And also, what did we learn as well? Not just some of the fact checks. I would love to have that kind of like instant analysis and just a, just a quick check-in, you know, a minute or two. After so it's interview. interesting you say that. I actually, and I think we've never talked about this, so I've never mentioned it, but I low-key hate those like DJ musician asides in late night. Like, <laughs> Oh, interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I never really care. Are they just it. kind of bro-y feeling to you? Well, that, and I never like, I don't care. I don't care. I usually don't care what their input is so because it doesn't seem like it has a lot of value or it's just like snappy one lines like which usually is just like blowing smoke up the host essentially like making him look good or like i don't know it's just right right it's not like but how do you feel about my proposal it's a different sort of thing i think the idea of what instant news is is or will be is going to shift greatly right now it has been a lot of like news is fast on twitter and that's it and i think the instant feedback reactions analysis is going to be coming in different ways and i and i think television news is going to have to be considering something i don't know if it's a whole person or if it's that's just be great. you know 30 seconds at the end of the show i don't know brendan it's your turn next pull a question Ooh, what's one interview that stands out in your mind in the almost four years of Polylog? Wow. Holy cow. There have been so many. There have been so many. I mean, I've just got to say, because it stands out in my mind right now, the interview that we saw that you highlighted in the episode last week with the woman mm. who lost her son. Yeah, Lucy I mean, McBath, I think. That was so powerful. The emotion there. And that's kind of the type of voice that we don't hear somebody who's truly affected by these issues talking about it on the Sunday shows. 
and given the space to share their story. So that that just instantly strikes me. I know it's obviously got recency bias, but that stands out. And it's a very different type of interview than we're used to. So I'll, I'll try to think about other other ones. But how would you answer? The one that stands out to my mind, and it's interesting, I think the reasoning is similar to what you just described, but it was when Chuck Todd did that series of women in Congress with their own Me Too moment. And he talked to several different women and they shared just like all the super creepy borderline harassment experiences they had throughout their career. And I, you know, I, for some reason, I, I think of Elizabeth Warren's story specifically, where he was like, I think he was chasing around a table or, or around a desk or oh, something. Oh, yeah, she was chased around a, a desk, yeah. You know, and just how common it is, how common it is to have these experiences that are completely inappropriate and wrong and somehow women are expected to, like, learn and grow from. Like, the, the idea that abuse is something that we have to learn from is just so gross. I think secondarily, I would say one that stands out in my mind is the one that Jake Tapper did with Stephen Miller. That was oh so explosive. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. I thought Jake Tapper was literally going to kick Stephen Miller, like push, like kick his seat away. Be like, get off my stage. Yeah. yeah. That was insane. But then in a different vein, I want to put all of the interviews that Margaret Brennan had with Scott Gottlieb over the course of this pandemic just as a whole, they were so consistently insightful. And that is so unique to the Sunday shows to have a voice that is always providing insight. Well, it's like, that is so important. Yeah, like this idea, like you are our trusted scientific advisor, guide us. Right. And, and who else and, has done that? And it wasn't just obviously his guidance, but the questions and the space and the choices of the show in having him on. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Naomi, go ahead. How would you coach a new representative who is going on the shows for the first time? What do you think? So there's kind of what I'd want for journalism and then also what I'd want for the representative. (laughs) Well, I'm sure the representative would care mostly about themselves in this instance. Yeah. So I would say, well, this has me thinking. I listened to some interview and I can't, I think it was Kara Swisher talking to Lauren Underwood and Lauren Underwood essentially said she used to go on the Sunday shows, but it became just a distraction. And the people in her district didn't really care that she was on the Sunday shows. Interesting. And she didn't find it valuable. And it was Sunday shows slash national news, but Sunday shows specifically. And I thought there was a lot of credibility to that, where what is the goal of what your work is trying to do? And if it's kind of like head down trying to get work done, then... Be very careful about if and when and with whom, with like which show you go on to make sure that it's like a robust conversation. So that'd be one, like be very choosy. I don't think any national news is necessary, which is interesting. But then from a journalistic standpoint, I think I would say have your pivots on point and identify the types of kind of broad questions that might lead to a segue that is very specific to the points that you want to make. I don't think enough people know how to do that well, but when they do, it's just 
it's killer there i mean this is what nancy pelosi does so so well there'll be a question and she'll answer it very briefly somehow weave in a criticism of trump and then to bring in her three talking points of the thing that she's trying to right, propose right? right and you have to be able to like essentially quickly translate a question to be like ah this is how i'm going to talk about x yes you know i agree with most of your points there but i think one thing i would add is if you're a new representative, you are likely not going to be asked about your district. You are likely not going to be asked about your policy positions. You are going to be asked about some big person in media. If you're a Republican, you're going to be asked about Trump and whatever the hell the latest thing was that Trump said. If you are a Democrat, you're going to be asked to provide some sort of criticism of the Biden administration. Or like, Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Like, you're going to be asked to add one voice to the choir about these larger people and personalities in politics. And so understanding that, find out, as you said, Naomi, ways that you can pivot from those comments into what you actually want to go on the show for. Uh, I would, though, caution against, I mean, I disagree with Lauren Underwood's position there. I have felt as the news has become more and more national in terms of politics. It becomes more and more important for local figures to somehow find a way to break into that national news. Because, for example, I know for our region that even though we are two hours outside of Los Angeles, L.A., like the L.A. papers, like at the L.A. Times, is subscribed to way more in our region than our local newspaper. Well, and I'm sure that it's very possible that like the New York Times and USA Today and like other national papers are also like outstripping local news. Well, of course. I mean, we could do a whole show special episode on on local news but i mean i think well one lauren underwood has an extremely competitive seat she barely won her re-election and so i think it's something very particular to the chicago suburbs that she represents i don't think that's necessarily true of every district right yeah but i think you're next all right let's see here i think we could have a whole episode on like tips for going on the sunday shows well now i want to do a special episode on local news Mm. all right but first there's a question Huh. Which host would be most excited and delighted by the prospect of a Biden-Romney ticket? I know my answer. I think Chuck Todd. Yes, Chuck Todd. He wants to believe in bipartisanship so badly. He really does. And and also the Republican Party, like, pulling itself up. From and getting its, their shit together. Yeah. yeah. But I think Chris Wallace would enjoy interviewing that administration more. Hmm. Now, why do you say that? Because he... He likes crazy situations to then, like, interview. Yeah. He likes being skeptical. Although, occasionally... <laughs> Who the doesn't like being skeptical? Occasionally... Why are you in journalism if you're not? Occasionally, the situation can be too crazy, even for Chris Wallace. That is true. See He doesn't like clownery. Debates. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. He felt like it was like... Like, I wonder if Chris Wallace thought... Maybe I'll retire after after this election cycle. And then he's that like, happens. no, I need to redeem myself. Yes, I need to be around a little longer. So the last thing people remember is not that. Now, I don't know that that's true, but I could totally see that being. Remember, something. Kristen Welker did an amazing job. And he said something to the effect of like, that's the debate I thought I was going to have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Naomi, what do you got? All right. What do journalism critics get wrong about the Sunday shows? Oh, wow. This is a big topic. Yeah. Well, first of all, there's not enough journalism critics to begin with. Yes. 
There are like three on freaking Twitter. That's not true. There's more than three. But man, you got to seek them out. And all, some of their takes are not great. Or uh, not well researched. That's, that's what drives me crazy. I'm aware. Go ahead. I think there's so many things they get wrong. It's going to be so hard to pick one. I think one of the things that frustrate me the most is when I see a clip on Twitter from an interview from the Sunday morning shows and people are saying, oh, this means they can't do interviews because of X, Y, Z reason. Or why was this person booked on the show to begin with? Or they kind of use like a 30 second clip to somehow make a giant declaration. And it reduces the burden of everyone to have the contextual understanding to be able to do a critical take. It's like almost like expecting movie reviews to be about a movie when only people saw the trailer. Yes. And it's like, uh, I'm all for good movie reviews, but watch the movie. <laughs> right? And that is what I feel like is a real issue. And tied to that, I have real issues on the assumption that certain people shouldn't ever be interviewed because they're liars. Mm, and I think there was just cause to say, okay, we're not interviewing Giuliani. We're not interviewing Kellyanne Conway, like these blatant liars, which some people might say everybody in the administration, the Trump administration were blatant liars, but they were still in the White House and they were still like in charge of a third of our governing federal government. And so it doesn't make sense to me to completely dismiss certain voices. And I think Senator Ron Johnson is another example. He, He oftentimes he sounds like a freaking idiot on the shows. But he's also still a senator who was very influential during the Trump administration. In my mind, it's it's hard to understand the argument of why are the shows ever booking Ron Johnson? Like, I, I just I could never buy that. How about you? What do the journalism critics get wrong about the Sunday shows? Well, I wish the journalism critics would get off their high freaking horse and stop pretending that all the Sunday shows are exactly the same and that all the journalists are just hacks like That is bullshit. We have covered these shows for years to completion. Like, we know these shows. We know the work that goes into them. We know the different tactics that are employed. The idea that these journalists are just like repeating whatever the journalism intelligentsia are thinking at any given moment. Uh, Like, there is just such dismissiveness towards the Sunday shows as if it's a total waste of time or as if the journalists are all being played by you know, you name it, Republicans, Democrats, Trump, whatever, like, wake up and pay attention, like, watch the shows and tell me what what you would have done differently. And if you have something like meaningful to provide, then provide it. Say like, this is the question that should have been asked, or this technique would have gotten a better answer. Because a lot of them also, a lot of the critics aren't caring so much about like, what is the point of this interview? Is the point just to badger somebody to the extent that they never go on the show again and we learn nothing? Or is the point to actually try to learn something or extend the debate or probe deeper into an issue? I just think they want a a lecture rather than an interview. Right. Or they want a stance, you know, they want a policy stance. And that's just not what the show is about. It's about journalism. It's about trying to confront these leaders who we have elected in public office and confront them about their positions, confront them about their choices, confront them about their priorities and the problems that they are ignoring or dealing with in a poor way. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. 
So like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm so annoyed. If literally your criticism is, oh, the Sunday shows are worthless, then you're not really providing meaningful criticism. It's yeah, like somebody, it's like a, you said in terms of a movie reviewer, dismissing an entire genre and saying, oh, you know what? I don't like <laughs> horror movies or I don't like adventure movies or comedies are, are a waste of time. I only deal with dramas. So every comedy that I have to see, I'm just going to say is a waste of time. It's like, um, then maybe you shouldn't be a critic because... That's true. I, I'm laughing because I <laughs> I don't really like superhero movies. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting hearing you say that. But I am not a movie critic because that would be part of my job. Right. To watch superhero movies. But I, I just kind of want to underscore one thing is that like journalism critics could be really valuable. And there are people who follow media who, who their beat is media. But the... They're rarely true journalism critics. And local papers Brian rarely... Stelter, for instance. Listen, I'm not saying names. <laughs> There's other people, too. But... They're media reporters. They're often. media reporters. They report on what the media is doing. And what the industry... What's happening in the right. industry. But they're not giving reflective, constructive criticism about what's happening in journalism. And that is my frustrating rage. Rage is a little bit much, but wow. it does bother me. Well, that was quite a, a an answer there. Let's uh, let's get another one here. Okay, you I, go. I think I, I I pull something here. Let's see what it says. Okay, here's a simple one. What's the purpose of the Sunday shows? I think I kind of said that just a moment ago about confronting those in power who we it, have elected about the top issues of the day and trying to pin them down on issues that they don't want to talk about or issues that they've already done something about and advance the political civic conversation is what I would say for the audience. I think that's the main point. That's the point I, I don't have in that sentence is for the audience, the public. Very important. Yeah. I mean, sometimes their audience is other politicians, too. It's not always. Yeah, I know. But I think most of it is for the public. And so I think it annoys me when it's too much for the politicians or the people in Washington. That's fair. I think it fluctuates. And I think some shows you're like, oh, this was for Washington. Oh, this was for America. Right. Yeah. Which Washington is in America. I hate when people say that. But I think the Sunday news shows is like a pause in the week. It's analysis from the last few days. And it's a sneak peek to what's ahead. Sometimes that's policy sometimes those are cultural societal moments sometimes it's like genuine history and and so i see it as truly like a pause and having conversations with thought leaders policymakers about what's happening a moment to take stock exactly all right naomi what you got in there there's still a lot my little christmas tin what makes a good interview on the Sunday shows and how is it different from a regular interview? Mm. Guessing a regular interview on TV. Yes. Well, we kind of just talked about that, right? A little bit about how Sunday is different. I think the expectations are higher. Yeah. Do not come on Sunday with barely any work done without... You're saying for the host. For The, the host the, should the, not... No, the guest. Oh, the guest. The okay. guests better have done their freaking homework and be ready to answer questions. Yeah. And if you're not ready or like, and I think this is true, especially in, I mean, this is both policymaker and people from the White House. But if you don't even have like some talking points approved when you, for a question, you know, you're going to get answered like that drives me crazy. And so 
yeah, I think you should have some basic data points. You should know what other people are saying. You should have some some sneak peek as to what your strategy is going to be next or what what to look forward to next. I kind of think of each guest being a guide to a potential path for policy. And if you can't guide the American audience as to like, hey, this is what I'm proposing we do. This is an opportunity for us to work on X. Then get off the show. So I'm going to, I think that's a really good point. I'm going to answer it from the host's perspective and why, how they should interview a little differently and why oh, it's okay. different. And so for me, I think the hosts, first I would say, study Chris Wallace in his best interviews. And I think one of the things that Chris Wallace does that I think that all the Sunday show hosts should do and that the Sunday shows demand is that, sure, put together a list of questions. That's important, right? You need to decide what you want to talk about. But for every question on your list, write what you think they're going to say as their answer. And a lot of times you can research this because a lot of times these public figures have already answered it or other members of their party have answered it or the president has answered it and they are representing the administration. Write the answer and then look at that answer and say, what is a follow-up? How are they dissembling? How are they failing to answer the question? And what am I going to do? Am I going to provide a fact? To push them further? Am I going to provide a statistic? Am I going to play another clip to push them further? Or is that going to be a way for me to go to my fourth question? And I'm going to go straight into that fourth question. Do the work not only of writing the questions, but write the answers. Because well, that's what the show demands. Well, it demands you to be very, very present, but also very ready for what is said next. And you can't always be ready without doing the work ahead of time. I mean, it's doing the work to have the most rigorous follow-up question that you can have. Right. And if you're not doing follow-up questions, then you shouldn't be doing the interview. Correct. Because a lack of follow-up is basically it's boring. saying... It's super boring. It's not only boring, but it's kind of saying like, okay, that's a perfect answer. And right. Now we're that will on. suffice. Yep. Exactly. That's a good point. It's like an endorsement of the answer. Mm-hmm. Brendan, it's your turn. Ah, is it? Okay, great. Oh, there's a lot of words on here. What is it? Ha ha. Which love is stronger? What? Chuck Todd's love for former Ohio Governor John Kasich. Jake Tapper's love for... John McCain. John McCain. You got it. Or Martha Raddatz's love for... The military. General Petraeus. Oh, I think... Oh, man. This is a hard one. I think it's either Jake Tapper or Martha Raddatz. I'm going to go... I'm going to go with Jake Tapper yes. and John McCain. Yes, I agree. They went on that bus ride and yep. the, the love. The Straight Talk Express in 2000. The love was cemented. But Martha Raddatz, whew, she loves the military. Yes. Can't get enough of it. More, more, more. Yeah. And you know, we haven't <laughs> war, seen. War, war, war. <laughs> we haven't seen Kasich on for a while. So yeah. I don't know. That love has, um, I guess when he didn't run for president, it's it's over until he talks about maybe considering running for president again oh my gosh don't even bring that up okay next question what's one thing that stands out as visibly you know obviously different on the sunday morning shows from 2017 when polylog started holy cow well what immediately comes to mind is that these shows aren't taking shit they are not taking it they are especially this year the last like six months yeah last year yeah they are not giving as i said you know a few weeks ago they're not giving the benefit of the doubt 
to Donald Trump, to people who lie, to people who are, you know, and I think a lot of times, let's be honest, it's the Republican Party, right? They're in so many different ways, in so many different instances, the Republican Party has gone against what they have said were their stated principles, whether those principles were fiscal responsibility during the Trump administration, whether those principles were the idea that you should not appoint a Supreme Court justice during an election year, whether those were principles of the sanctity of our elections or the principles of rule of law. Again, and principles of truth versus lies or versus conspiracies. It's just been one principle after another knocked down by Republicans or the principle of having an independent commission for the one six, right, where we have multiple Republican senators who said they supported it. And now they're saying, oh, just let it be. It's too political now. Let it be done by Congress. What? That makes no sense. (laughs) That will reduce. (laughs) I think that was Senator John Thune this week. It's just insane. So I think these these shows have seen it and their eyes are open and they're not taking shit. They're done with it. And I appreciate that. That's my thing. What's yours? I think that's true. There's also more ladies. Mm. Martha Rat Martha Raditz was well, she was a co host. I don't actually I don't yeah, know. Yeah, she I think she was. Was she a co host already? I think so. But we do have Margaret Brennan and Dana Bash now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a really, really good development. Yeah. All right, let me pull one here. What do we got? So this question is You've seen over 224, I guess 224 times five, practically, episodes of the Sunday shows, over a thousand. Why do you continue to watch? (laughs) What keeps you coming back? Well, the new administration really reinvigorated my excitement for the show. Because, as we mentioned, new voices, new policies, new priorities, new strategies to get them to talk new tough questions yeah everything just feels different yeah and that's very exciting it is very truly quite exciting the other thing i would say can i just add to that i think as covid ends also it gets exciting again because we're not talking about the same thing covid was new for a while and for a long time it has not been new yeah we discussed every angle (laughs) about covid yep (laughs) And it, it's news. The news is always changing. And so what we talked about a year ago, it's going to be talked about maybe as the same topic, but it's going to come out in a different way. And I would say also what keeps me coming back is, as you said, it is a pause and a reflection on the week, but it's also an invitation to dive deeper into these issues as new issues come up, as issues change. And that's just very exciting to learn more about these things. And also what I love about the Sunday shows is I actually get to hear from these policymakers, these leaders, these voices from their own voices. Oftentimes, if you watch broadcast news or you read the newspaper, you just see little snippets, little quotes. But to actually hear somebody answer in full paragraphs, you get a sense of how they're thinking about a topic. You get a sense of the language they're choosing, where they're coming from, the anecdotes they're providing. And you really get a more visceral real sense of the person and of their job and of their mission and of their policy than you would if you just got your news practically any other way other than like literally watching their speeches or reading their policies, which again, often the policies are written by other people and the speeches are often written by other people. But when they're on the shows, it's them. That's them. Yep. Even if they're very well versed and prepared, it's still them. That's true. Clinkity clink, clink, clank. <laughs> Ooh, that's a big one, it looks like. What does it say? Lots of words. 
Would you rather had Scott Gottlieb stay as FDA commissioner during the pandemic, or would you rather he have been a commentator outside of the government as he was? Definitely the latter. I think he was an extremely valuable thought leader throughout the pandemic, and I'm so glad we had him to be so explicit about what we were experiencing. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, too, that he people listened to him while he was outside the government. You know, he wrote a lot of, you know, influential editorials. Oh my gosh. He advised a number of governors and really helped turn things in a way that maybe he wouldn't have if he was just nose to the grindstone working as FDA commissioner. I mean, not even just like thought leaders, like in the interview with Dr. Deborah Burks, she talks about compiling kind of mitigation strategies and one of like the three or four papers that she was using One of them was Dr. Gottlieb's. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a fascinating study in how being outside of the government and speaking through the media can provide more influence than being inside the government. Absolutely. I, and not to kind of like belabor this question a ton, but at some point, I don't know, it was like June or July or something. And Dr. Gottlieb was on the Ezra Klein show Mm-hmm. Do you remember? And it was a fantastic, fantastic interview. I was like six or seven months pregnant, completely isolated in a pandemic, had no idea when we were going to see our families. And I felt like he gave it to me straight about what was next, about what the dangers still were, what we needed to do to get our testing protocols in place. Like it was no no way did I think like, oh, we're going to be fine. But I was like, oh, God, at least there's someone who knows what the hell is happening. Yeah. And is being like vocal about what we need to do. To be clear, there's still a lot of things he said that we needed to do that we still aren't doing. But at the time, it felt so reassuring. Totally agree. All right, it's my turn. Here we go. Maybe we should get to our lightning round here. Okay. Uh, Maybe after this question. (laughs) Sure. Hmm. If you didn't have a show about the Sunday morning shows, what would we be talking about? You mean, is it like... Like... As a podcast? Yeah. Oh, if you didn't have a podcast on this, what would it be? Yeah. I feel like we've talked about this before, haven't we? I think we have some ideas. Or at least we did before Polylog took over our lives. And the baby took over our lives. Oh, yeah, that. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Do you have an answer? I'm thinking. I could see us doing like a show of like like a series-based show where we're looking at all the different things that we're seeing around fire management mm. or... And mitigation. Yeah, and, and mitigation, mm-hmm. right. Or, you know, something like, I think it would have been really interesting after the 2017 tax bill, you know, tax law that Trump passed and kind of like exploring what that meant for different states or different people at different ages. Like I could see us doing kind of more like six to eight episodes of different topics. Mm, I like that idea. That's a good one. That would be fun. I feel like we're like just giving away all our good ideas. You know? <laughs> what What would you say we would be doing? It doesn't have to be political. Oh, 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 this is it. This is it. Okay. I knew I had it. And then, and then I got distracted by how good yours was. <laughs> so mine is, and I've long thought that this could be a really cool project, but it would be Basically, looking at the specific political messaging being used by a, a political party or, or people in power and 
trying to dig into the language that's being used, like how they, for example, how are the Democrats talking about climate change? Or how are Republicans talking about um, tariffs, right? And trying to dig into the language they're using, the explanations they're using, and seeing what better language or better explanations we could have. Kind of like what works and why it doesn't. Right. Kind of like, could we rewrite this in a way that would be more impactful? Oh, yeah. You've mentioned that to me. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be interesting. So interesting. Very, very. With all our extra time, we're going to launch all these podcasts. Yeah. All right. Lightning round it up. Okay. We've got less than a minute on each question. You ready? (laughs) It's not that long of a lightning round, but okay. Well, that's 30 seconds each. All right. Fine. I'm going to go. Other than the Sunday news shows, what's your go-to political journalism must-haves? Oh, well, for me, that's very simple. I would say Politico Playbook every morning. Ever since Mike Allen had Politico Playbook, I've been reading that. Oh, you're dating yourself. Yes. That was that was and continues to be excellent. I will often look at the Politico's main headlines. Uh, obviously, there's you know the podcasts out there. I've actually begun really enjoying the uh, Slate Politico Gabfest with John Dickerson and uh, and Meet the Presses show the Chuck Toddcast has actually yeah, been is really good. really good lately. Naomi, what about you? So I listen to a lot fewer podcasts now that we have the baby. But in general, I love Up First to start my day. I would also say I'm a big believer in supporting local, local-ish news. So, so I say local-ish because I do subscribe to the LA Times and I trust the LA Times for California news way more than any East Coast paper. And so that's really important to me. And... You know, I just load up my Twitter with journalists. Yeah, I've got lists of journalists, political journalists on Twitter. Yeah. And so that for me is kind of how I find the pulse of the day. I get to get one. You you had that one. Do you buy much of what Nate Silver is selling? And if he was an actual salesman, what would he sell? No and no. And pencils? I don't know. Pencils? I don't know. Something that is like... That's a lightning. Yeah. I would say, yes, I do buy a lot of what he is selling. I appreciate Nate's position, but I appreciate it more on his podcast than his hot takes. I guess, let me back up. Back up. I'm like, yes, do you buy that? Yes. For the most part, he's making credible claims. <laughs> of course, he's very like science driven. I don't always think they're wildly enlightening. And uh, what- so that's, so it's just because it's credible doesn't mean you got to buy that. And what I would say he would sell is I think he would have a casino and then he would love to just like watch and run all the numbers and the tables and all that. I know he's big into poker, so. Yeah, but he seems like somebody who likes playing, not watching other people play. Interesting. All right, Naomi, pull one. What makes a good debate on the Sunday shows? I guess I would say candor, Mm. respect, credibility. Wow. Nicely done. Three words. I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Go. I would say what makes a great debate is new insights into new experiences. If each side... You sound like an ad. <laughs> Why do you say that? I feel like I heard that in like some car ad. <laughs> but I love it when like you have a side... Look, you know, We just saw this with the Israeli-Palestinian debate, right? Where we saw Israel saying really meaningful, insightful things about what they feel like they're under threat from and then the host providing more detail on how difficult it is for these accords to be followed, these ceasefires. Right, right, right. 
What's one non-political thing that Jake Tapper should cover in his next Outrage Corner segment? Oh, goodness. You could talk about... I'm surprised he hasn't done something about schools and kids around the pandemic. Hmm. I'm surprised he hasn't covered the loss of comics in the newspaper as someone who used to like to draw cartoons. Well, I think I heard him in some interview where he talks about like he kept getting in trouble. Like the comics, it was... Oh, he got in trouble with his... Right. State of the Cartoonian? Right. Mm, Interesting. Which host would make the most interesting political commentator? If they were just like somebody on a panel. I think Chuck Todd wants to spill the deets as more than anybody else. I agree. Seems like a chatterbox who just like wants to share it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely accurate. Although I do think that Jake Tapper would be really interesting if he could just kind of take off his journalism hat. How often should the president be on the Sunday shows? I don't know about the Sunday shows specifically because I think like CBS sometimes has him on 60 Minutes and they kind of share a clip. So I don't, president should be doing long form interviews of some kind once or twice a quarter. Yeah, I, I was literally about to say once a quarter. And I want them on the Sunday shows because, as we mentioned, Sunday show interviews can be very different from other interviews. And I think the Sunday show hosts are adept at doing what needs to be done to try to probe a president. Yeah, I guess my point is Sunday morning political shows are not the only weekly shows. Yeah, but I would they're my preferred show. <laughs> sure. That. All right, we're getting down to the last few. How does the personality of the host influence the shows? Well, one, one person that is in the background that plays a huge role is the executive producer, one. So I think the yes. relationship between the executive producer and the host is probably the most powerful thing influencing the show. Second, I think, would be the personality. And I think there's either an aggressive approach, deference, or skepticism that drives their interview style. Yeah, and I would say that the personality is, as we mentioned earlier, key to the show itself. But perhaps more than the individual personality and demeanor of the host is how much the host cares about the show, thinks that the show is a great and important responsibility on their part. I know for a fact that Chuck Todd feels this way. I know for a fact that Margaret Brennan feels this way, having taken the reins of Face the Nation. And I believe that Jake Tapper takes his role as a journalist super seriously. I don't know that he necessarily sees State of the Union I think Chris Wallace takes it seriously. I think he takes seriously some interviews. I don't think he takes the whole of the show as like a hugely serious That's fair. But when they do, it can make a huge, huge impact. And I would hope that every host truly feels that way. What do politicians get wrong about the Sunday shows? That they can phone it in and they'll show up unprepared or kind of lazy. I think politicians fear the Sunday shows and fear the press more than they need to. Mm. And that's why we see so many of the same faces who are like not afraid of it. But a lot of other politicians who don't show up, I think they're afraid of it. And I think they let their PR and public relations press secretary team like scare them into avoiding press, avoiding press, avoiding press, rather than honing those skills. But if you hone those skills, you can use those skills for other things just as we saw bernie sanders get way better as a campaigner and a politician after deciding to go on the shows a lot more before the last election that's true this is the last one yep all right what is it better be good oh what a sweet one to end with what's the biggest thing you've learned about political journalism in covering the sunday shows wow i don't know if i can make this a 
It's a lightning round. You have to. Uh, I think that nuance is so hard, but it's so worth it. Yeah, I think I would say what I learned is how complex the job is of just doing an interview. There are so many different tactics, techniques, personalities, like ways to go about it, facts to use, clips to use. There's so many different ways to go about doing the job, so many different things to focus on. And when you have such a limited amount of time on the Sunday shows, you really have to be intentional. Otherwise, it's so easy to have 5, 10, 20 minutes just fly right by with no substance, no meaning, no value. It's a hard job. Okay, I'm going to put one more question for our lightning round. What are you looking forward to next for Polylog? I'm looking forward to, as an observer, just seeing how the Sunday shows and hopefully if the Sunday shows decide to approach all the topics that they cover with the seriousness, the focus, and the depth that they have tried to tackle the pandemic. I'm most interested probably in this respect in seeing what Face the Nation does when Margaret Brennan returns because their show has really covered the pandemic so well and so intensely. And I want to know if the changes wrought by the pandemic and how they do things translates into their future coverage. I think I'm just looking forward to not just new topics, like topics that a Democratic administration would cover, but topics that are going to affect, that are reflective of the future. Yes. We haven't, I mean, beyond the Space Force, we haven't talked about substantive new ways that work is changing or we haven't really actually given a damn about childcare and women in the workforce and like real things that are going to drastically change what our life is going to look like in 20 years and i just feel like so much of the trump administration was about kind of like the roof is on fire and it was so in the here and now and i'm looking forward to having the time to be just a little forward thinking. Awesome. Awesome answer. All right, Naomi. Well, that's it for Polylog. This week and every week, we encourage you to make your dialogue count. We certainly talked a lot here. What types of dialogue challenges come to mind? Or is there a dialogue challenge that you would want to repeat? Mm, I'm sure we must have done this at some point. But like, we obviously love questions. We literally just did a whole episode of questions. And... I would encourage our listeners to think about like what's a question you love returning to mm. and then what's a question you've been avoiding. Mm. <laughs> Those were different. <laughs> <laughs> and just see where that takes you. Interesting. My dialogue challenge, because I've got one as well, because that's how we're doing it this week. Okay. My, I love that. That's a great one. Mine is, this was kind of a fun uh, endeavor. So I'd encourage you if you've got a um, friend or... Uh, a partner write down a bunch of questions and throw them in a hat or a christmas size tin and just go through them at dinner well i mean there's also like discuss discussion prompts you can do like we yes. did this because we have a show we have a lot we could talk about but if this is hard but you love the idea of this i forget the brand but just we do have those cards yeah obviously we do <laughs> but just google you know discussion prompts or something like that discussion cards yeah. discussion cards and there's some really fantastic ones. Icebreakers and things like that, which are fun. They're super fun. Make the conversation count. If you want to extend the conversation to us in any way, you can always email us at podcast at polylog.com. 
You can follow me at Beastidal on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at SodorNeomi underscore. And you can always follow the show at PolyLogCast. Or tweet at the show. Or tweet at us. Yes. That, that too. Thanks, everyone. And we will talk with you with a new Newsy episode next week. Hopefully the flight back hasn't been too bad. Bye. Bye.